Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 179 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a senior cloud advocate for Microsoft. He conducts science experiment hackathons with industry-leading organizations to test theories and create proof of concepts using Microsoft Cloud Services. Previously, he has been awarded Microsoft Most Valuable Professional four years running for evangelizing mobility products and solutions through public speaking engagements and other efforts. So welcome to the podcast, Anthony Bartolo. Thank you for having me. So maybe, Anthony, you can give us a bit of an understanding of what your role as a senior cloud advocate is. So specifically as being a a senior cloud advocate, our responsibility is 70% listening and 30% sharing. Um, Why that's so important, it's getting the feedback from our audience that are that is adopting uh, Microsoft technology or Azure services uh, as a whole and understanding pain points or understanding aha moments uh, and then relaying that back to engineering. I always call ourselves the front line for engineering because of the fact that we're immersed amidst the, amidst the audience that uses the services. And then what we learn as a whole, and this is part of the reason why the hackathons are for me are so important, what we learn from a perspective of what's being implemented, how it's being governed, how it is being secured, how the resources are being made available. We share that with the masses. Sometimes we, you know, we're able to share a full-on GitHub repo with ARM templates and best practices, or sometimes we just simply share the story in terms of what we've learned and to just enable everybody to move forward on adopting cloud services. Right, and presumably that, that involves subsequently talking about the hackathons and the results you're obtaining? Correct. So it's it's talking about the hackathons uh, or the hackfests that we do directly with customers, and then sharing the resources that have been created from said hackfests, uh, and you know either doing it in a small forum or an online forum or even in a larger forum, where it's a public speaking engagement where we're then sharing with everybody. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of prior to Microsoft, what were you doing before that? So prior to Microsoft, I was actually at the largest telecommunications company here in Canada, Rogers Communications, adopting then the, the first reiterations of smartphones, which were actually Windows mobile devices, and helping customers adopt uh, smartphone technology into their infrastructure. Uh, my first uh, foray into server was actually on Server 2003 Service Pack 2, where there was the uh, connection into Exchange for the direct mappy connection to smartphones, and then the whole aspect of governance of the hardware at that time uh, and empowering IT to adopt security best practices for these new mobile coming of information at your hip. So that was quite early on in terms of smartphone technology. Oh, yes. Uh, Prior to even having voice communication across uh, those devices, we're talking uh, Windows Pocket PC and uh, then BlackBerry and then the iPhone. Great. So can you, Anthony, perhaps tell us um, a top career tip, one that the audience may not know and perhaps should? 
So a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people in regards to from an IT professional's perspective in governance over an enablement of an organization uh, that they support. And I always ask, you know, what guidance or what reference are you being provided in terms of what you're trying to accomplish? And the answer I get is usually the same. It's more of a reactive measure. Something occurs, something, a catastrophe occurs. And then the IT professional is, you know, pointed at saying, why didn't you fix this or why did this occur? And then they go forward and, and do the bandage or, or make the appropriate response after the incident has occurred. What I always say, uh, share as a tip specifically to IT pros is make sure you're part of the business. Make sure you have a seat at the table with the business decision makers and with the um, developers of the organization that you support so that you are part of the business. So you have an understanding where the business is moving forward to. And so for that enablement of, you know, instead of being reactive, being proactive and enabling the, comp the company to move forward, the, a company that you support to move forward together, as opposed to, you know, being pointed at when something does, does arise. Yeah, so it becomes more of a, a synergy between the sort of business and the technical delivery. Correct. And also it provides you a voice at the table. There are some times when, you know, business wants to implement said endeavor and there are security qualms about said endeavor. And if IT is not at the table to speak up, it gets pushed down to IT and IT says, I can't do this. It's too late. The, the decision has been made to do this. And that's when you have these what we call duct tape solutions that don't really adhere to the security requirements of the organization, but are done because it's been you know, forced upon them to implement said solution. Whereas if IT had a, you know, a seat at the table when the decision is being made, they can provide their input in terms of a more elegant way or more responsible way to deploy said solution to ensure that the security requirements are kept intact. Yes, no, that's very true. Okay, Anthony, can you tell us maybe about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Back in the days of on-premise implementation of, of architecture, again, back to server 2003 and uh, Exchange, governance over identity management in terms of enablement of access of resources wasn't really made available. Back during this time, the whole implementation of, you know, MP3s was coming uh, into the foray and people were, you know, downloading music. And what was interesting was that the, um, the, one of the organizations that I was supporting, they had a scenario where individuals were trying to find spaces to hide music and somebody actually gained access to the exchange server and was starting to dump their music files onto the exchange server. So much so that we came into a situation where on this ProLiant 3000, it came out uh, with a storage issue and people weren't able to receive their emails because there was no more storage space left on the bare metal box that had Exchange imp implemented on it. Um, after doing some sniffing, we found these MP3 files that were hidden in a bin folder somewhere and <laughs> immediately went through. Yeah, you, it, it's funny, it, but at the time we had, you know, CEOs coming down saying, my email's not coming through, what's going on? I have these important, you know, important documents that I'm supposed to be receiving and they're not coming down. We immediately had to do a overview of who had access to what. Active Directory was completely open. Everybody had access to all resources because it was a fire implementation. The company wanted to do this. We opened the, the floodgates to everybody and access to everything was everywhere back in the day when you had the single admin key that everybody had access to. And so immediately did the trace route of, you know, where did the files come from? Who was responsible for dumping the files? This individual actually was using somebody else's account to dump the files. 
so that we trace it back to that individual. It, it was a complete mess, but it was a great learning exercise as to, you know, how to not do identity management properly. And this is back in 2005 uh, when the situation occurred, when it was, you know, wild, wild west in terms of security. Myself and the team learned very quickly uh, in respect to, okay, so we need to build a security strategy now. We need to make sure that we're locking down resources. We can't allow for carte blanche access to any data at any time. And, you know, within 90 days had a full-on plan, which at that time we implemented. And, you know, we, we from there, we just built on top of that. But, you know, the whole aspect of the universal key and min code that everybody has access to and, you know, what a great learning to you know, firsthand, it, even though it was just, you know, MP3s being loaded on a server, could you imagine if it was at that time espionage and people extracting information, right? We weren't at that step yet. Nobody was thinking about that as of yet, uh, to my knowledge. But, you know, what a great learning experience to, to, to move from that and then immediately come up with a security plan to stop individuals from doing su- such activities. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that you say that's a few years ago, 2005. So yes. um, presumably in, in your experience, things have definitely changed significantly. And as you've mentioned, there are so many different security threats now that that, that sort of implementational behavior just doesn't really happen as far as I'm aware anyway. Well, then that's just it, right? The, the thing now is that we've come into situations where, you know, conditional access is being applied. And the whole, you know, I, I delivered this presentation on hybrid security implement, implementations and best practices. And I actually show the picture of the key underneath the mat, which was the old, you know, day of, of IT. You had a, even an IT department of two to three people. They're all sharing this admin key to do tasks. And, you know, even that is, is in this day and age, in, in terms of certifications and ISO and what have you, is a security risk. So, you know, implementing, you know, conditional access and privileged identity management to who has access to what resources. And then if you're implementing like just-in-time technology where I need to do password administration, but I shouldn't have carte blanche access to uh, password administration because of the requirement that's uh, or regulations or the company that I have to uh, adhere to, um, enabling that ask first. So I'm asking for the access for just in time to for password management. Uh, there is a full on audit trail that's my senior management then allows me to have that type of access for 30 minutes to do the change. And then after that 30 minutes, my my token is revoked. And I would have to ask again in order to do further password management and having that all traced in terms of, you know, through an audit trail and a ticketing system, what's actually being accomplished. It's such a lot more secure and a lot more well thought of in terms of accessing of said resources, even to an IT and administrative level, right right down to the uh, end user level. And I'll tell you, a lot of this came about because of the mobile devices being implemented and the way that, you know, we were allowing the access to data and learning very quickly the damage that these devices could cause and then taking it upon ourselves to take it beyond of just you know, creating that lock on this on the mobile device and actually putting a lock on an individual's identity. And, you know, having that as a token or the key to say, is this individual authorized or not? And then enabling multi-factor authentication to ensure that you're actually guaranteeing that this individual is the individual that's accessing said data. It just grows from there. And this is just learning that we're, we're seeing catapulting, you know, even quicker as the years go by and the months go by uh, in respect to the technologies and how to secure them. That's great to hear and particularly um, your own experiences as well. So, Anthony, can you maybe take us to your IT career highlight or greatest success? I would have to say the greatest success that I've had thus far was in respect to the hackathons that we've we've accomplished. 
one of them being with the Missing Children's Society of Canada, where we were able to um, harness server function technology. So uh, we have a service, there's a, there's a technology made available through functions that is a immediate action that occurs in the cloud for a specific event. In this case here, what we were able to do is we were able to extract information from social media when a child is in distress. So a child can activate the service by simply uh, including hashtag HFM, which stands for help find me. When that's activated, um, the solution that we put architected together uh, alongside developers and business decision makers over at uh, Missing Children Society of Canada was the ability to then Okay, capture the information that, you know, the child is in distress, who they are, who they've been in contact with, sentiment of the conversation, 80% of the abductions that occur are um, initialized via conversation that occurs online uh, in a romantic intention, uh, where the child has been for the last 30 days, so the breadcrumbs of that uh, scenario, and that information is created into a dossier that's then shared with police. It was such a great eye-opening opportunity because of the fact that Traditionally, these type of solutions that are created are done by developers. And the fact that, you know, myself and another individual, Pierre Roman, a great friend of mine, came together from an IT pro perspective and architected out the solution and enabled the security aspect of the solution, uh, the storage capabilities, the resiliency. These are things that, you know, from a developer standpoint, it's not sometimes their focus. And so to be part of a solution that was so impactful to enable the ability to help find kids and to enable to invoke technology to help do that and to do it in such a way where it was secure and met the, the requirements for privacy and uh, regulations by lo- lo- local law enforcement was a very you know moving uh, moment. Uh, and when it went live, and, and they're currently implementing this uh, solution today around the world because we were able to share this as open source on GitHub, it's very impactful. And, and to know that you know from an IT professional's perspective, you are valid. You, your, your skills are something of importance and is transferable to cloud very easily. This was something, you know, was a big eye-opening moment for me doing this project. And just the impact that it's had has been phenomenal. Yeah, so the, the fact it's made such a contribution to um, the community and society as a whole must be very fulfilling. Definitely. And the fact that, you know, it, it, the traditional on-premise IT pro skills being translated to the, to the cloud in this real-world implementation so valid, so helpful, had a huge impact on the project as a whole um, in respect to meeting the regulations set forth by local law enforcement and the Missing Children's Society of Canada from, you know, again, privacy and from security, what have you. You know, we together working, you know, in unison, in collaboration with the developers and the business decision makers made all the difference to, to even have the solution completed that much quicker. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, Anthony, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? So, the biggest thing is, you know, how transferable our skills are in respect to the baseline or the foundational work that's being accomplished in in terms of cloud adoption. I hear a lot, you know, IT pros to thrive, they need to learn how to code. If you have a passion for coding, definitely something that you would want to pursue. Uh, I've started to dabble myself in Python just because of the enablement it provides on, on IoT solutions as a whole. But it's not a necessity. The whole aspect of what you've accomplished from an on-prem implementation, on-prem architectural solution that you've managed for X amount of years, moving to the cloud, so required, so needed. You know, the best practices around security, what we've learned to this point uh, in terms of resiliency, in terms of, you know, enablement of resources, 
cloud just makes it that much more available, that much more tangible to for organizations to deploy and to take advantage of. So the whole aspect of, you know, where IT is going, sky's the limit, right? Our partnership with the developers and the business decision, make, business decision makers is very important. But, you know, even more so what we bring to the table in terms of our experience, dabbling in machine learning, dabbling in IoT. You know, IoT, I call the, the new wild, wild west that mobile was 10, 15 years ago in respect to we're seeing shadow IT occurring with individuals going to the local uh, retailer, buying light bulbs that, you know, I can change the color on by going through a website, throwing it in an organization's lamp and causing a security risk, right? So the whole aspect of the, the you know, IT pro understanding even architecture from an, I, uh, an IoT perspective and how to govern over that. Lessons learned from the on-premise architectural days being brought forth into this. It's so amazing to see how fast IT pros can adapt to the new technology and be of, you know, such a great worth to the organization that they support. Yeah, no, they're all valid points. And uh, I, I totally agree with you that the sky is potentially the limit. We're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Sure. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? That's an interesting question. I actually blame the movie Back to the Future um, on <laughs> the reason why I got into IT. The reason being is because Doc Brown slipped uh, trying to hang a, a clock, I believe, inside of his bathroom and hit his head on the sink and came up with the idea for the flex capacitor. I believe it was 13 at the time. And I said, you know, how amazing was that, that, you know, he hit his head, had this idea and then used technology to build it. How can I do something like that? How can I, you know, use technology? I was big into Lego. I was stripping apart remote control cars and embedding motors into the Lego cars that I was building. My parents were upset because I was destroying all these toys, but it was <laughs> the whole aspect of if you can think it, you can create it. And, and then IT took it the next step because now it's enablement of technology on behalf of an organization as opposed to just myself. And that's where the natural progression for me came. What is the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice is to not be a know-it-all, but to be a learn-it-all. The whole aspect of thinking that you know everything in this day and age, especially in the, how fast technology moves, never works. There's always going to be, you know, somebody that, you know, knows more, make friends with those people, learn from them, be always open to learn new things. You know, I, I love being at conferences and speaking with the audiences because I learn every time I, I show up at these shows, I share as much knowledge as I can in my presentations, but the, the wealth of knowledge that I take back with me and just having conversations with people. So amazing. So definitely, you know, always go in with an open mindset, always go in with the, with the interest of learning something new as opposed to just uh, telling everybody what you know. And you'll be surprised, you know, how much further that will push you in your career, especially in IT. Yeah, that's great advice. I think the opportunity to learn is always there, isn't it? So you just keep your ears open and, and decide what you need to absorb. Correct. And conversely to that, what is the worst career advice you've ever received? The worst career advice I've ever received was that the end user's voice doesn't count. This was prior to the shadow IT occurrence that came at mobile. I was told at a very uh, young age in, in my or very young age in my IT career that pay no attention to the end user. We know what's best. When we implement the technology, we set the rules and they have to listen. How quickly that changed when mobile devices came into play and shadow IT was everywhere. 
in security holes and, and risks and leaking of information and uh, MP3s being stored on exchange servers, you name it, uh, it became a big disaster. So that's probably one of the worst career advices I was I've ever received. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, I agree. the The dynamic definitely changed, particularly around um, the time when smart technology came in. So yeah. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? I think the biggest thing was when I first started my career, I was focusing directly on the technology. So I would focus on server products and I would focus on client products and you know specifically on the products to know as much knowledge as I could about the products as opposed to knowing about why are we doing this? Why are we implementing said technologies? I think in today's day and age, I would want to learn more about the why? Why are we implementing this type of technology? Why is the organization um, wishing to accomplish X? Having a much more holistic view of what the organization as a whole is trying to implement or or make available, as opposed to just fixating on the technology and being the best at uh, learning or understanding said technologies to deploy. That In this day and age, especially in terms of how quickly the technology advances, there's no way you could be the know-it-all of said technology that's being launched or that's being implemented. So definitely the whole aspect of seeing everything holistically as opposed to pinpointing on the technology is a, something that I would do as if I started my IT career again. Okay. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? The biggest thing right now uh, is I've been focusing on directly engaging with the IT professional audiences and hearing what's going on in the field. So, you know, what pain points are currently occurring, what's been great in terms of implementation, uh, are there any struggles from migrating from on-premise to in-cloud, considerations around hybrid implementations where you have both on-premise and in-cloud systems, and then answering questions. And the way, you know, that we've, the team and I um, under Rick Claus have been answering questions is in regards to blog posts on itopstalk.com which is a Microsoft-based blog post uh, specifically targeted towards IT professionals. What we've been doing is at these conferences, we're, we're fielding a lot of questions. We can't answer every question because we're not know-it-alls, we're learn-it-alls. And so when we come across a question that we don't know the answers to, we go out and do the research and then share what we've learned on the digital plane, specifically on the itopstock.com blog with the masses. And, you know, it's of importance to us because it tells us what the IT professional audience is thinking. And we also then share that information uh, with engineering in terms of, hey, these are the difficulties that IT professionals are experiencing when deploying said services, something that we should address, something we can do better. And, you know, vice versa, then taking that information when the changes occurred and sharing that with the masses, you know, based on their input uh, or their feedback what we've changed to make things easier to deploy. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? So originally, uh, I actually wasn't in technology. I was actually a car mechanic back in the day. And this is prior to even the ECUs being um, deployed in the vehicles. And for me, it was that whole tie back to creativity, right? If a problem came in, so the car won't start or there's a whining noise that's coming from the vehicle, how do you address that? How do you fix that? How do you, you know, deduce the problem? That was a very important skill for me in terms of the deduction of the problems that were coming in with the vehicles because that activated my problem uh, solving skills. And so 
the same symptoms you would look for in an engine of a car was very relatable to IT for me and opened up the world of opportunities when the first car rolled in with an ECU and I was uh, given a, a very thick laptop computer at the time uh, <laughs> to then connect to the ECU uh, via the serial bus and do a understanding or problem solving session with the vehicle to find out what's wrong. It was a big eye opener and it was something where wow, this is a way now that to use technology to address a problem the car is having and have a pinpoint result as opposed to trying a couple of things to get the car uh, up and running. Yeah, that's interesting to hear, definitely. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? The biggest thing is just talking with audiences has been something of, of a great excitement for me. I love to learn. I love to dabble in, in all aspects of technology. Right now, I've been doing a lot of work around IoT, just because it's been fascinating in terms of the amount of information that you can capture. One of the projects that I actually had the privilege of working on was with the Canadian Coast Guard, uh, where we taught drones how to identify life jackets in the water when a ship is in distress. And the amount of information that was you know, sent back to us uh, from these drones was phenomenal. But it was from a perspective of the drone doing its own deduction of identifying a life jacket. In some scenarios, the drone has no connectivity because it's three hours out at sea. And so to teach the drone to be self-aware in terms of what a life jacket actually looks like, and then when it does identify said life jacket in the water, to do a heat uh, sensor scan or an IR scan of the body masses around that life jacket, and then to do a prediction around hypothermia uh, setting in on that individual. Uh, it's something where it was a great opportunity to learn at such a small scale because remember, this is like the equivalent of a Raspberry Pi on a device that's flying in the air to capture this information. What a great problem to, to solve uh, from something like this. And this is where I get excited in terms of what I've learned from the audience, in terms of what's possible, what's capable, and then doing my own research, uh, and then partnering with developers and business decision makers, and then enacting these types of technology uh, to solve real-world problems is something that really gets me excited from, from my day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, that's that's some very interesting things there, definitely. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? So I'm a quarter mile guy, being a former mechanic, I'm still racing a 1970 Challenger down the quarter mile out in Cayuga here in Ontario, Canada. I do that maybe once or twice a year. Also picked up uh, recently actually mountain biking. Uh, I've been enjoying that a lot. Uh, and when I get a chance and I can break away out of Ontario and visit California, specific, specifically Huntington Beach, do a little bit of surfing as well. Sounds like you keep yourself very busy then. Yes, very. <laughs> <laughs> nice and active. That's the main thing, yes. And Anthony, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience? The biggest thing is to never think that you shouldn't be part of the conversation. IT professionals and IT departments have been seen as a cost center for too long. You have to step up. You have to grab your own seat at the table. You have to make your voice heard. And you have to be able to listen to the organization as a whole to understand where the business is going. Us as IT professionals cannot be successful if we're reactive. We have to be those individuals that are there at the seat of the table, understanding what the business is trying to accomplish and providing our input in terms of how to get the organization there. Being reactive is something that will yes. keep the IT professional departments as a cost center. And we want to be, you know, an enabler of technology, not just a, a one and a zero at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, that's very good. 
And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you? So the easiest way uh, to connect with me um, is through the blog, which is itopstalk.com. We also uh, follow a hashtag on Twitter, uh, which is AZOps, so hashtag AZOps uh, on Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, you can find me at Wireless Life. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. You too. Thank you very much for having me. As always, my thanks go to my guest on today's show. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. I also want to thank you for your continued support. It's always great to hear from listeners, particularly when they have suggestions about potential guests or ways to improve the show. And this was one of the reasons for creating the new IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. I'm really excited about taking the podcast forward and I hope that you'll continue to support and listen to the show as it continues to change and evolve. Thanks for listening and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.